Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, episode 45. I'm Jameson. And I'm Avery. In this episode, we're talking with ultralight celebrity and MYOG hero, the one and only Dan Durston. This is going to be a juicy, but a little bit of a longer episode. So make sure you stay tuned for the entire duration to hear about the new Kakwa 40 pack that just dropped yesterday, which is mentioned in the end of this episode. Also remember to like us, subscribe and follow for future episodes. How rad is that pack? So rad that three of us already bought the pack. But before we get to the episode, we have some really exciting announcements. Uh, Listen up, people of the pod. If you are interested in ultra fabrics at all, whether you have already made with them, you want to make with them, or you have had dreams, uh, sewing dreams about making stuff with ultra one day, we have the resource for you. A few weeks back, you heard about our Intro to DIY ebook. Well, this is a materials guide ebook all about ultra fabrics. So check that out. That ebook is live on the site now under the resource tab, and you can download it for free. Free. Um, It goes over all things like making techniques, construction of the fabric, as well as a needle and thread guide and a whole lot more. And it's free. Anyway, an ebook collects every bit of helpful information on a specific topic or specific fabric line. Uh, the goal is to help you be a more empowered consumer. If you know more, then you can purchase more confidently. But that's a PDF that will get sent directly to your email that you can keep forever and ever and ever. Uh, it's 29 pages, I think, maybe 28 pages of just pure MYOG educational bliss. Moving on, don't forget to check out our newest products like the Ultralight Venom Stretch Mesh that came out and also our newest CSM Polyester and many others coming very, very soon. Not a new product, but it's pretty much just as exciting as one is our custom design tool, which is finally back up. Our team, shout Justin out and Jason and other people uh, have bugged, uh, bothered and uh, bumped alliterations, uh, enough people to progress the product production to actually make it work. So the custom design tools back up whatever patterns and dreams you have in mind, you can finally go do it, do it now. In terms of upcoming episodes, we have a lot of fun things planned for you all. We are releasing a bonus episode this coming Monday, June 13th, which happens to be National Sewing Day. We are going to kick off a community maker challenge. So stay tuned for that and be sure to listen to the bonus episode on Monday to participate. And last but not least, we are taking your maker questions for an upcoming episode 47. We have a new maker hotline where you can call and leave us a voicemail with your questions to be answered on the podcast. The number for that is area code 919666670661. And I'll run that number one more time, but it's 919666 7061. And we'll also drop that number in the show notes. 
Let us know if you want that to turn into a jingle. Uh, Carter, Isaac, and I are, you know, vocally gifted, as our parents said, so we could probably make that into something. But without further messing about, messing, you know what I mean, we're going to get to why you're actually here, uh, which is probably not this, but probably Dan. So to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, episode 45. And today we're talking with, uh, some would say, probably a legend, Dan Durston. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks, guys. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, because everyone here is kind of a fabric nerd. So there's a lot of things that we can dive <laughs> into. Of. I'd say that's an understatement. <laughs> Probably. Um, but first of which, your background. So mm-hmm. you now have a company called Durston Gear that I think everybody knows, XMID, um, as well as the DD40, and as well as a, a new pack coming out, which we'll talk about later. Um, have you always been a maker, or how did you end up making your own gear? Yeah, I... I came into this like probably a lot of people where you're just like, you're hiking, you're loving the stuff, but you want things how you want things. And you don't maybe necessarily set out to like, I want to make gear as much as I want gear exactly like this. And the only way that's going to happen is if I do it. So I was, I I just started maybe like 15 years ago. I wanted to like, it's trying to save weight, trying to customize gear, but I didn't know how to sew. It wasn't like, I know like for a lot of people that's like the hang up is like, but I don't know how to sew. And like, you know, I didn't grow up knowing how to sew or anything like that. I just got to the point where I was like, I got to learn this. And I also didn't want to spend a ton of money. Cause like, if you start spending like thousand dollars on a machine, like, and then you're just sewing terrible things. Cause you don't know how to sew. It's like, <laughs> kind of be a little like, yeah, yeah, a little intimidating financially and all that. So I, I wanted to sew, but I didn't know how, and I didn't want to spend any money. So, so my wife, one day she got this coupon for a craft store and it was 50% off any one item and they didn't sell real sewing machines. They had like these little like toy craft mini sewing machines, but it it was $40. And so with this coupon, it was 20 bucks. So it was like, it was this little kids. I think it was, I don't know, kids or it was tiny. It was pink. It was like covered in flowers and it was just like this cute little thing almost no adjustments on it it was just like the sewing thing but i bought that and it was 20 bucks and then i just like watched a bunch of youtube and and kind of learned how to use it but there was no like thread tension or anything like that on this oh, thing wow. <laughs> so if it was like sucking you're just like well it's just it's just gonna suck like you use a different thread and it just doesn't work and so that was how i got my start it's just like minimal like financial and time investment just like figured it out myself and then it just went from there as you kind of learn to sew a bit better eventually i went like all the way up to like the 50 dollars machine at walmart Whoa. <laughs> and then uh, anyways now i actually have like a good like sale rate like proper like professional sewing machine but along the way it was just like not a huge commitment ahead of time yeah yeah are you an engineer by background have like were you like one of the questions that we ask like are people lego kids like we see a similarity between people that like like to build things as a kid and want to myog how have you always been myog or just you know take those questions for what they are (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think so like i i'm a scientist a biologist by training but i've always like you know as soon as you're doing something you're like well let's get the spreadsheet out here let's let's add up the numbers like all that kind of stuff yeah that kind of like that kind of geek side of analytical engineer like that's always resonated with me for sure you uh, we we did a lot of research obviously and i mean i've, I've been in your xmid tent carter has one um mm-hmm. and we've seen a lot of your stuff but 
have you have you so have you prototyped a lot of the stuff that you have now put out for the gear company, or is that all kind of conception that you worked with a production company to put out? Yeah, so I it's a, it's a bit of a long story, but I was just like doing my own thing, like hiking, loving it, loving the hikes, loving building gear, but totally like pure hobby. And like you build gear when you got time. And I was doing a big hike, like long story short, I was doing a big hike in 2017 where I was just like long days thinking about gear. How could I make it different and better? And I ended up having the idea for the X-Mid where I was trying to solve all these common problems with trekking pole tents where you have like poles in the doors, they like fall down when they're half up, you need guy lines, you have to measure your poles, like all these things. And I was just like, how can we like get away from that? And I ended up like realizing the X-Mid, X-Mid kind of layout which is that if it's a rectangle base, it's like simple. And if it's gonna like, I really wanted it to have two poles because a lot of the pyramid tents have, are nice and simple, but they got one pole and the only high spot is where the pole is. So you can't sit there. So anyway, so I was like, I need two poles. They can't be near the edge because then it'll like be a flat wall that'll fall down or I need a guy line. So I was like, somehow it's a rectangle with two poles near the middle, but I got to sleep there too. And as soon as you're like, the poles got to be there and I got to be there. Then I realized like the only way you can really do that is when the two poles are on one diagonal and you sleep on the opposite diagonal. So I was just hiking. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Like I think it would work, but I didn't even have like a piece of paper to like sketch it out on. I'm just like, yeah, I think, I think that would work. <laughs> I was, was going to ask, <laughs> and, uh, at what point did you pull out your napkin and start, uh, you know, <laughs> sketching it out? Cause that's usually yeah. how my, my, my design process works. I think about it and then I need, you know, I get to a certain point and I'm like, oh, I need to write this down. <laughs> yeah. So I, like, I had this idea, but we were still on the trail for like more than another month. Oh, wow. I remember it was this terrible day on trail. I was like, I was telling my wife, I was like, hey, I have this idea. I think it's kind of cool. Like, it seems like it makes sense. But the bugs were horrible. She was just like, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we hiked, we finished the hike and I was like, oh, like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll like sew one for myself. But I was just going into, um, like a, a job and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, not sure if I was going to the time because I do a lot of make your own gear stuff, but like a full on tent with an inner is like a pretty big project. So like at that time, um, the company called Mass Drop who changed to drop and then they kind of got out of the, got out of the scene. But at the time they had just given me some hiking poles to use for the trip trip. And they were just giving out hiking poles to everybody to get the word out. And they were like, Oh, Hey, like we're trying to develop products uh, like maybe like a cook pod or like a mug or something. And I was like, oh, like I have this idea for a tent. And I was just like, hey, like if they want to make this, then I don't have to like sew it, which is going to take me like forever because I'm like super slow. I was like, maybe they could just like make me one like professionally. Um, so anyways, they were like, yeah, cool. And so I was like, okay, I better like actually see if this works. And that's when I actually started like sketching it out and like gotcha. putting down all the numbers and all the computer stuff. And yeah, it just went from there. Nice. So trips, I mean, you have done a lot. You've through hiked mm -hmm. the PCT, the GDT, is that which one? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you did a yo-yo hike with your wife, right? Yeah, that was the GDT. That was, yeah. Okay. Great divide trail. That's right. And then you've done, um, what's Bob the tour? Wilderness. Yes, the Marshall Wilderness. You've done that one a few times now, right? Yeah, I've done that six times. Yeah, it's just oh, wow. such a good <laughs> challenge. Like, yeah. it's it's the complete package of everything hard. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> what what's next? Do you have any trips planned? Yeah. So like I, 
when we hiked the Great Divide Trail in 2017, we loved it because it's like that's the basically the Canadian extension of the Continental Divide Trail, the CDT. It just keeps running up the Rockies, goes for another 700 miles, and then it only ends because there's not really trails anymore. Like the mountains are amazing, like you're having the time of your life, and then there's just but the trails kind of getting worse the whole time because like there's fewer fewer people. Yeah, and eventually you're like you know just bits of it here and there, and then finally it just ends because there's like nothing. So this summer, me and a friend, we're going to try to keep going on the divide. That's in like six weeks. And we're going to try to do another about 150 miles, which isn't really intimidating because there's like no trail for like the good 100 mile chunk of no trail. And it's not just like, oh, this terrain works so perfectly. It's like, it's not like it's a desert or like all pure alpine or something. It's just like, you know, it's valleys, you're bushwhacking across, like there's going to be some cool parts and some horrible parts. Um, but it's, it's so authentic. Like yeah. we talk about like wilderness and like the words everywhere. It's on like, you know, t-shirts and RVs and everything, but like you get out there and like, there's nobody for like a week and you're like, this is really, old. that's it. So that's, that gets me stoked is just like, yeah, keep pushing like into, into the Northern Rockies. You're from Canada, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in BC, west coast of Canada. Okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah, there's a lot more, there's a lot more wilderness that Canada has to offer than most of the United yeah. States. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. We like we have so much, but we also like you don't really people don't appreciate things until it's almost gone. Mm-hmm. Like with in the U.S., there's a lot of development, and then like the wilderness that are left, a lot of them people value. Whereas in Canada, we like we think it's unlimited, and then people are just like, oh yeah, like you know, keep logging and mining and yeah. doing all your things. And you actually get out there and you're like, man, like, like people have like developed like so much of this and yeah, just taking it for granted a bit. Yeah. So, uh, being from Canada, do you do any canoeing? I don't know. <laughs> Isaac had to get uh, canoe, <laughs> canoeing is my, uh, that's, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> yeah. My brother's a big canoeer. He got me out on a trip a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. I like it. Um, it's great. I do like more pack rafting just because I can combine it with hiking a little better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love all of that stuff. Just getting outside is great. Yeah, for sure. So you're kind of an ultralight gear celebrity from your, uh, quote, loudmouth days on Backpacking Light to <laughs> uh, now Durston Gear and everything. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that process that's kind of unfolded? Because I would imagine in a lot of ways, you kind of just feel like a guy that loves the outdoors that has happened to have some stuff go to production. Um, but yeah, how does it feel to kind of be, you know, Dan Durston's a name that's thrown around a lot. Durston Gear's a name that's tossed around a ton. People have uh, made your tent in custom version that we've seen, like uh, one of our adventure sponsors made on last year. Uh, it's incredibly cool, and she could not sing enough praises about that tent and everything that she's enjoyed from her first X-Mid. How does it feel to be Dan Durston, the celebrity now, not just the hiker guy? Yeah, it's definitely new. Um, that that custom expert was so cool. The one that was like purple yeah. and blues. Yeah, and, the yeah that was yeah. That, I was stoked to see that. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, the whole like celebrity thing. I mean, it's it's cool and it's weird and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's so much. Lots of it are so much fun because you connect with like so many awesome people. Um, you still, at the same time, you kind of feel like an imposter because I'm just like a guy that loves gear and hiking, like 98% of these people on the podcast. I am like, my personality is like, if I'm into something, I'm like super into it. I'm just like, 
I don't kind of have like a lot of hobbies that I dabble in. I'm like, oh, like I'm into this. <laughs> so I do, I think like in, when I get into something, I'm like really gonna dive right in and then you get to the forefront of like, where's the kind of the cutting edge of, of whatever it is. Cause that's the cool part is, yeah, it's been cool connecting with people and it's been so cool having the community, like be excited about it. Cause like, we don't do any advertising or like, like I'm, I'm like my wife helps me a bit and one of my other relatives, but it's like mostly just me. Like, you know, I'll say, okay, I'll try to post on Instagram once a week or like, <laughs> you know, I'll try, I'll make, I'm doing everything. And like, without the slips, the support of the community, like actually telling people and spreading the word and giving us ideas and like kind feedback and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, what's cool for like for me. And I think for everyone is it really is like kind of a grassroots yeah. um, kind of thing. It feels, it does feel very authentic. Like everything is not like, oh, this is made by a big company. I mean, even, even wonderful companies that make phenomenal gear, it, they can feel fairly distant because you don't know the designers and you don't know what their qualifications are. I'm sure they're excellent, but a lot of people yeah. know you and know you have pretty, pretty <laughs> good qualifications to make this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like, I think one of the, like the unique things about qualifications are that like a lot of gear is designed by people who are like gear designers, like they went to school for it. And like, of course they love the outdoors and all these kind of things, but they're maybe not like kind of an eccentric geek. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, you know, I'm like this hardcore user where I'm like, you know, it's raining in this tent better, like be simple to pitch and like these door toggles better work and all this kind of stuff. So I come at it, not so much from like an academic design, but from like a, a user where like, when the weather sucks and it's raining and it's sleeting and I'm cold and tired, like I need this to work. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of working backwards from like that end yeah. product. So that that's a really good point. Cause another question that I had written down is why do you think people gravitate toward your designs so much? I mean, there's a metric ton of, of tents and backpacks and things out there. Um, but like yours are all sold out. Granted, you know, yeah. certain companies make tons and tons of and quantities. I know you don't do huge, huge mass production, but people love that. And it seems like kind of what you're saying, and, and I'd like for you to kind of elaborate on this more, is that you, where people that have a technical background in this, they they can tend to over, over design something because of how cool it is or like, oh, I really need to use this particular thing. Where like your designs are ultra simple. I think it's really easy to be a little out of touch with things if you're not like, using it in a like very intense way if you're just like any tent is going to be pretty good if you don't really need a tent if it's like sunny and warm and there's no bugs then like they're all great um <laughs> yeah yeah but when, sure. but when um you know when it really comes down to it that's when like things things matter um like i've had i've had like a minimalist shelter where i was going over the mountain pass and it was like crazy unexpected blowing snow and the shelter was like the bottom like two feet was like kind of cut away like a really high cut fly yeah. and I was just like man if I needed to hunker down here because I almost couldn't see where I was going I was pretty much navigating blind on the GPS and I was just like like I have to make this because I can't set up this tent here I'm just going to get crushed <laughs> whereas like even if gear designers are using their stuff if they're not out in like kind of the, the that one percent of the most kind of extreme conditions then maybe they don't have like the full picture so for me it's like it's informed by just being a geek and hiking a lot and wanting stuff that like just works and then simplicity is a big part of that because complicated stuff sucks um, <laughs> so you said that you're a biologist right yeah uh, do you 
do you get out often like for you, for your job and use this gear or is it kind of restricted to your personal time when you're hiking? Um, yeah. So the biology things in transition, I, we had a, my wife and I had a kid three months ago, which has been oh, great. Nice. Congrats. Um, Congrats. And in Canada we have like paid parental leave, which is handy. Yeah. Um, so I get nine months of that. And so I am on that right now from my biology job, which is kind of a perfect, chance to like basically just kind of go full-time on the gear company with a safety gap that if like I really botch things, then I can still go back to my job in six months from now. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I like everything is going great with the gear company and I can't really see going back to the biology job. It's awesome. Like yeah. it's, it's an amazing job, but it was mostly office kind of like just writing. We have field crews that do all the stuff and I just like write the reports and gotcha. talk to the government agencies and all that kind of all fun, the fun stuff. stuff, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, your shelter. Um, let, let's talk about it. X-Mid. You talked about kind of how it was titled the X-Mid because of the, the different lines, the one with the poles and the one where you, where you would sleep. Let's get mm-hmm. down to uh, the design stuff. So that, tent has been out for a little while now um Mm -hmm. what would you change you you know being an analytical gear nerd people love it but i'm sure that you have things that you'd be like i'd I'd really like to get this out (laughs) what what would you change about it (laughs) yeah so like one of the tricky things is like i talk about coherent design which is when you're trying to have a really clear goal or like use case for what you're making and then every aspect of it is built towards that so the kind of the counter example is with the first backpack I ever built, I was like, this is going to be awesome for backpacking and for ski touring. And then I like put all these like ski touring attachments on it. And I put like beefed up for like the ski edges. And then I'm going, but mostly I was using it backpacking and it just was like way heavier than it needed to be because I was trying to make it work for too many yeah. things. Yeah. And that's a common thing. People are like, always want to be like, oh, this works for everything. It's, it's the do it all, like the, the quiver killer, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And you don't want to be too niche where like it works for like the most narrow set of things, but it's dangerous to go too broad. So with the XMID, um, that is like the original XMID is essentially like my best shot at making it optimal for kind of how I hike, which is like all conditions, shoulder seasons. It's like, it's not going to be like super light. Um, like it's light, but it's not going to be like bleeding edge sure. because it's still going to be double wall. It's still going to have vents. It's still going to have like all the things that I think are like important to have when you're actually out in bad weather. And it's not, it's not Dyneema because it's like crazy expensive. <laughs> and just to start, to start with, that's a little scary. So like the main thing that I always kind of wanted to change. So there's always like little things to optimize, but the main thing is that I would love to like take the same design and like aim it more at like an extreme light version, which is what I'm working on now with the pro version. Mm-hmm. So that is like, we're, we're still trying to be consistent. We're just taking it instead of being like this kind of well-rounded for everything. It's like a step down from that but still, still very capable, just not quite as much, but then it's a lot lighter. So it's going to use like Dyneema fabrics. The zippers are a bit lighter. The fab floor fabrics a bit lighter, um, all those kind of things, but then it weighs like half. And that was kind of, cause that was the kind of always the critique is like, okay, yeah, that shelter is cool, but like I could buy this one that weighs half. <laughs> yeah. And it, and that's hard because the weights, like from a customer perspective, weight is like the number one spec. 
And so if you're going to be like, oh, ours is heavier, but like, there's all these good reasons. You need to like have an uphill battle of like yeah. explaining to people why they want vents, why they want double wall, all these kind of things. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I love the geek and me loves making that like, it's kind of this like bleeding edge, like super nerd, like super nerd version base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it is heavier, right? Um, and you used sil poly. So wh- mm-hmm. why did you decide to go sil poly over sil nylon? Which is what most, yeah. most gear companies use, right? Yeah. So that's, I love, yeah, I love poly. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's like, we're, I'm definitely not the first one to use poly, like by any means, yeah. but the XMED got so big that like, I ended up kind of like turning into like spokesperson for poly. Um, so the, the, there's a bunch of different like reasons and people can go back and forth. But for me, what it really comes down to is that nylon expands when it's wet because it's got those, well, it's got the chemistries, the amide bonds and they're hydroph- hydrophilic, they love water. Basically they, they soak up water and expand which has some downsides like making it heavier, but the main one is that it, it, it's literally expanding. So it's getting loose and an denial on that's two to 4%, which doesn't sound like that much, but when you have like the arc of a tent, it's maybe 150 inches. So two to 4% is like three to six inches of slack. So in a, in a freestanding tent, that's not that big of a deal. It's just kind of like loose and a bit wrinkly and things like that. But in a trekking pole tent, the actual fabric is part of the structure. It's like holding all the pull tips together. And so as soon as your fabric's expanding and getting loose, it's just becoming structurally unsound. So you get this like big rain event, the fabric starts sagging and it starts moving around more. And for me, it's just like, if we don't have to have that, if we could keep it tight, that's what I want to do. And then, so it's fundamentally like more structurally sound. If you need it stronger, then you can use a little heavier version or something like that. But even then, like the the strength differences are, I think they're often pretty overstated. Like there is a difference, but it's it gets confounded because the, there's coatings on the fabric, like your silicones and your PUs and PEs, and those have a huge effect. And like some companies have compared like sil nylons to PU polys, where the, actually the coatings make a bigger difference in the fiber. So basically, I use poly because it doesn't sag. It stays light. It doesn't absorb water weight. It's more UV resistant, and any strength difference is like actually pretty small. It's like ten percent. Yeah. Why do you think most companies use nylon? Because I mean, the biggest argument is like, oh, nylon is stronger. But like you said, it can. It kind of becomes marginal at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So partly it's academic because nylon is it is stronger, but then everyone's comparing specs for like new dry fabric when as soon as it's absorbing water and it expands, it also is getting 10% weaker. So if it's like 20% stronger, but as soon as it's wet, it loses 10. It's, it's not actually that big. And then it UV degrades. So UV degradation is complicated because it's not as almost all of these things are not as simple as just like poly and nylon. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, nylon does UV degrade faster. So if it's 20% ahead, it's only 10% ahead when it's wet. And then a few months down the road, it's the same. So for why, why nylon is so prevalent, there's like two, two eras, I guess. One, so tents were poly like back in the day, like 70s. It was like actually pretty dominant. And then what happened is lightweight nylons came out for other industries, like the low deniers, like the 20s, 30s. 
and you couldn't get those at the time in poly. And so you, if you want to make a lightweight tent, it had to be nylon in like kind of the eighties, nineties, even two thousands and lightweight poly just basically didn't exist until maybe like 10 years ago. And so that was like the industry went to nylon just largely on availability. And then since then there originally, there was a lot of like hesitation because there's just a lot of fear when people are like, oh, it's not as strong. It doesn't sound as good. And then there's also this argument of like, it's cheap. What actually like the, it's, it's not actually cheap. It's that like, when you have like a coarse, like heavy duty, like, or not heavy duty, but coarse, like heavier version, those are cheaper to make just like on car camping tents. But once you get into like these low denier high thread count, the price goes up. And so people were comparing like these fancy light nylons to just like kind of heavy mainstream poly and like, yeah, there's a difference, but like on your site, they would be like in the same ballpark anyways. Yeah. For like, if you compare the same denier, I think we're mostly past like a lot of like the kind of the drama though. Like yeah. a lot of companies have switched. Like a big one this year was tarp tent. They just came out with a tent in 20D poly. Uh, you know, and that's awesome to see. Um, I think they're just so respected in the in the industry that it gives some credibility. The other big one is Black Diamond. They've switched almost all their tents to poly. And so for a long time, people are like, well, it sounds good, but like, why isn't everyone doing it? Right. And now it's like, well, a lot of people are doing it. Yeah. Um, not everyone, for sure, but at least there's enough names that it obviously works. Yeah. No, that makes sense about the accessibility part, for sure, that it... I mean, it's kind of why we exist is that people have a hard time getting or had a hard time getting hands on the right fabrics. <laughs> so if you only had the you know, ability, if you only had the ability to get uh, a light nylon or nylon light enough that you'd actually want to carry, then that was what you're going to source for your tent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people are, you know, going into gear stores like REI or, yeah. or uh, Mech and, uh, you know, they're, they're feeling heavier weight nylon fabrics yeah. and then that's their standard for you know, what's good. Right. So they don't really understand. Right. So, yeah. uh, one tent that we've talked about or fabric that we've talked about recently is a new Nemo Osmo tent uh, or an Osmo mm-hmm. fabric with the dagger tent. I think it is. Yep. Uh, are you familiar with that fabric? Uh, sort of. Um, I'm just, I think just enough to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> that's all you this need. is the fabric that's like a blend of poly yep. nylon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> Give me your thoughts. That's, that's pretty much the end of the yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't want to say anything too bad about it because I really, like, don't know. Yeah. But I don't see how it actually works well. And so here's the core thing. In gear design, almost, like, ubiquitously, you have to be so careful of stretch. And what I mean by that is, like, you take a tarp and you put, like, a reinforcement on there. If the reinforcement's more stretchy than the actual main fabric Mm -hmm. it's just going to stretch and not really do anything while the fabric's just kind of taking the load like normal or vice versa if it's if it's less stretchy then all the loads on the reinforcement and it can be an abrupt transition back so you always try to have things be fairly similar in terms of stretch so like things are not doing weird pulls and wrinkles and all this kind of stuff and everything's all the stress is loading more evenly all that kind of stuff so with this fabric, my understanding, and maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding is that they're blending a nylon with a polyester and they're using threads of both in there. So what I, what I see happening is that the nylon threads have a lot more stretch. So even if 
technically they're strong. If you pull on it, what's going to happen is the nylon's just going to stretch. And then the poly strands that are lower stretch are just going to like be this grid that takes the load. So I see how it has the advantages of poly and like it's not going to sag because that that kind of network of poly is going to hold it in its core shape. I just don't see how it's actually stronger, which I think is the whole point of adding in some nylon. Yeah, because it's going to like the, the weaker parts can be the one that's taking the load anyway, or then it's just going to separate. Right. Like that's kind of what we're getting at. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just think that cause nylon, like, so you've got stretch in the weave of the fabrics, yeah. but in the actual fibers themselves, nylon has way more. If you just took two fibers and stretched them, it wouldn't even be close. So if you just grab one of each in your hands and pulled, you would just feel the poly come tight and the nylon would, you wouldn't actually load it onto there. Yeah. Yeah. No, Nemo is awesome. They're so innovative. Like, They've probably solved this, and I just don't know how they solved it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see you know how well these tents do six months from now or a year mm-hmm. from now, right? Once somebody's had it on the trail for a little while and had it through a few storms and had it through a few sunny days, and it's been degraded like you were talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how the fabric does after it's been in use. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I hope I hope it's not that they did it like a blend because people like want nylon but they wanted the benefits of poly i see it like there's the strength difference is not really that big especially for the reasons we've already talked about yeah so if you're going to make this really complicated thing that's both it like it has to be better and if it's like you go through all that and maybe create some new problems and it's only like three percent stronger yeah yeah Yeah, maybe it'll be awesome i i would love to learn more and actually understand it properly and not just yeah yeah uh, we knew if anybody had insight on it, it would be you. So that's why we had to ask you, <laughs> which we appreciate yeah. greatly. <laughs> yeah, I hope it, I hope it's awesome. Um, like Nemo's innovative. They're yeah. awesome. They wouldn't do something stupid. So they, they must have like solved some things. Yeah. All right. So continuing down the fabric application train, jumping from sil nylon and sil poly to, uh, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum almost, uh, Dyneema composite fabrics. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can dig, dig into here. So, I think you are a core example of using them in the right place or the wrong place. So let's talk about applications and appropriate uses. So for people that don't know, um, mm-hmm. your uh, DD40 pack uh, does not use any DCF on that pack. And then your XMID, uh-huh. there is a pro version which has DCF fabrics, but the main version, like we already talked about, isn't. So you obviously have thoughts and feelings on when the appropriate time to use DCF is and isn't. Talk to us about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So for, so quickly for packs first, mm-hmm. I think like the fiber of Dyneema, which is like the brand name for <clears throat> ultra high molecular polyethylene. Um, but anyways, I think that fiber is amazing. Like it's the lightest, it's the strongest using it right is incredible, but you do have to make sure you're using it right. And so for packs with hybrid DCF, it's kind of, st- or it is stuck in the middle. It's like sandwiched under a polyester face fabric inside the plastic. It's not actually what's taking the abrasion and it's not woven. So it's not doing that much for puncture. Like, like it's just, there's just a little bit, little bit of it there, but it's not like fully like taken advantage of the properties, which is more what ultra does that we can talk about later. But so I, I never really found hybrid DCF to be like that really worth a premium over X pack for, for packs. But one thing that like regular DCF is awesome at is tear strength. Like it's 
it's super waterproof and it's super strong. And so it's great for like tarps and tent flies. And so that's why we use it for the pro version because we also want to have an affordable version. But um, so we use it for the tent fly of the X-Mid Pro um, because I think that just plays to the strengths. Um, it's low stretch. You can really make it tight. You can really have a shelter that hardly budges in the wind because it's just strong and low stretch. It's waterproof, all those things. But again, the, the Dyneema is on the inside, which reinforces it, makes it strong. But it's not, um, since it's not on the outside, it's not really helping with abrasion or something. And that's why we don't use it for a floor. I don't really, like, if you get a one ounce DCF floor, it's not really lighter than like a 1.1 ounce kind of woven. Like they're very similar. And I I think the woven's gonna last longer. Um, there's, I mean, there's, you'll hear a million opinions on it. But anyways, I think the woven's gonna last longer. Yeah. Um, and I think that people are gonna come around to that. Like, so Tarp 10, who again, I have huge respect for, they just said on on Reddit like two weeks ago, that they basically agree and they're switching their Dyneema shelters back to woven floors, hmm. um, which was kind of like, Oh, like yeah. that's cool. Because like, yeah. I'm thinking about these things in my head. Like, yeah. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. And they were like, and then to have like just some other people affirm it's kind of nice. Yeah. That makes um, a lot of sense. Do you think you have any, like are your designs influenced by you doing a lot of trips and experience in the Canadian Rockies because I mean, I know there's like, we talk a little bit about um, like how design influence, like if you're on the East Coast, being in the Emerald Tunnel and the East Coast wetness and how there's trees everywhere and you're really going to get above tree line and like these things kind of influence what you have and what you're talking about with, with DCF there in terms of floors, in terms of pack uh, abrasion resistance and puncture resistance and stuff. Do you see that happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are your designs influenced by being in the Canadian Rockies? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, so I... That for sure they are. And I hike a lot in the Rockies and I hiked a lot. I only moved to the Rockies three years ago. I hiked a lot on the coastal BC, which is just like wet, wet, wet all the time. Um, it's like kind of like Olympic Peninsula kind of thing. And so like someone out East might value things like, oh, I want a small footprint. So it's going to fit in these like tiny sites between two bushes. And I'm basically thinking about like protecting from like cold rain, like I guess cold rain because it's like sometimes it's not going to end for like days and if it's like coming in the door when you open it and it's like you know your walls are like yeah there's just so many ways that it can like kick your butt it can really be a trip wrecker so that's kind of a big thing for me and then for abrasion I always thought it made like kind of back to the simplicity thing I don't like using a ground sheet because it's like an extra step it's like a thing to pack up to attach I do appreciate that it's cool that it's replaceable if you like wear it out in a couple of years. Like I get that. But for me, it's just like, I just want to keep things simple. So I like to use a floor that's like just durable enough that if I take good care of it, I just like, okay. it's just the floor. Yeah. And that's why we use like 1520 D woven floors. Cause I, I feel good enough. You can still damage them if you're not careful, but like with care, they'll last like pretty much forever. I was going to say like a lot of the tents that, that I've used in the past, I try to just set them up on top of like needle coverage or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, kind of saves you from a lot of those uh, like bad punctures or abrasion instances that, you know, you might be worried about. So it's just yeah, interesting, totally. you know, thinking about uh, where you camp and the things yeah. that you have to think about. But um, yeah. yeah. So going back to, to DCF, um, mm-hmm. 
when do you think the cost is worth it? You know, you, you said like the the X Men Pro, the original, uh, or no, I'm sorry, the X Men um, is like half the cost, right? So when when do you need to spring for that extra cost for the for the DCF? Yeah, I would. Man, I'd love it if they got the cost down on DCF. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> I mean, a quick side trail that maybe is interesting to people though is that I think part of some of the issues that like with cost that you see with DCF are because DSM that makes it was selling their materials division um, over the last year, and I think there was a real push within the company to try to make it more profitable so that they could actually sell it, and they did actually sell it like four weeks ago. And the new owner apparently is super stoked and there could actually be some opportunities for them to invest in things like more automated production, new versions. Like there could actually be like some cool stuff on the road. Whereas I think felt like a lot of the stuff was kind of like on hold while they tried to do the sale. Yeah. Uh, but as for cost and impact, uh, I think if you're, so if you're using DCF for an application that's not really suited for it, like um, some people use like 0.5 DCF for like a ground sheet. And you're just like, that's expensive. It's like a hundred and some bucks. And people get all excited because like Dyneema is really strong, but the, the composite with the Mylar is not that. Anyways, you chew through it pretty fast. But I think if you're using it in the right application where it's going to have a good long service life, like a tarp or a tent fly, and either you hike regularly or you evaluate a lot for other reasons, like you're, you're older or you have a sore back or something like that, then it's like, it's not really that much money, like compared to other hobbies, like a, yeah. a $700 tent is still like, like a mountain bike. It's like $7,000 yeah. and then you break it constantly. Yeah. It's like you crash and break like the brake lever and it's like yeah. 500 bucks. <laughs> so I think it's like, if you're serious about like hiking regularly and getting your pack light, then it's not crazy to spend the money on. Yeah. But you also totally don't have to. Yeah. So we work with, uh, I'm just going to say Dyneema a lot because it's not, like you said, it's becoming not DCF. <laughs> uh, what fabrics or what blend or what would you like to see from them in terms of new fabric innovation and stuff like that? There's a bunch. The, the kind of the carrot on the end of the stick that's been there for like ever is this product that you can buy, but not reasonably, you can't reason, you can technically buy it. So it's called high bias DCF. And instead of the Dyneema being just on two orientations, like zero and 90, they also put it on the 45s. Oh, I see. And, yeah. and so it's on four orientations. So the main issue right now with DCF on like a tarp or something is that because it's only on two orientations and it's not woven, if you're pulling diagonally to that, you can kind of eventually fatigue the material and start to like cause it to delaminate over time. So you want to design for that. You can add like reinforcement, like DCF back tape really helps to reinforce those mm -hmm. and how you orient it and all those kind of things. But it would just be so much easier if they put the strands in more orientations. Yeah. And they, they've offered that forever. The problem is they don't actually build it in-house. They send it away to another company that like puts it on somehow. And so instead of like 30 some bucks a yard, I was talking about it. It's like 120. Oh my. So, <laughs> so you said a yard. Yeah. It's because wow. they, they don't really want to sell it to you. I don't think. And then they outsource it to somebody who probably doesn't really want to make it. And like, yeah. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. So like your material would be like, I don't know, like a thousand bucks just for like that before you like, you know, did anything. 
Yeah. So, but wow, if they that's, that's they insane. could easily. <laughs> I'm trying to comprehend. That. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's hard to pay that because it's just yeah. inefficiency. It's yeah. it's literally the exact same stuff there. It's just like please take some of these fibers and turn them 45 sure. degrees. But like, so maybe the new owners will like be more open to like refining some of that production that that brings the cost down or at least keeps it from going higher. Yeah, uh, I still think they could do more with, and I'm kind of ignorant on this one, but more with color. Like yeah. some of the companies printing on DCF, like it, it looks great. It's hard for me to believe that this stuff has to be as like see-through as it is. Fair. I know they have darker versions and stuff, yeah. but I want like the lightest version. Yeah. That just seems like a solvable problem. There has to be a way to like yeah. add some color. It seems like a solvable problem. And then they are working on, so not really DCF per se, but from Dyneema, I would just, I'm a huge fan of the fiber, like the Dyneema fiber. Um, and I would love to see like crazy light wovens, like, because it is more durable instead of making a sleeping bag out of like 10 denier nylon, if you could make it out of like a five denier woven Dyneema, yeah. it could be so light. I mean, I'm sure the cost is just like nosebleed <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah. That's but a it would point. be cool. Yeah. I expected you to say at one point, and sort of my follow-up question is, is why did yeah. you say this is um, a, high, a high abrasion resistance, like a pack fabric, like something yeah. that could compete with, or I mean, like we talked about earlier with your pack, it uses VX15? Shoot, I'm going to... VX21. 21. Something yeah. that could compact with, or that could compete with the abrasion resistance and puncture resistance of that, but could be much lighter because that fabric is plus five ounces, I think, per yard. So Yeah. Yeah, so I think partly, I feel like DSM kind of like, sat on their laurels i mean i don't want to say anything too negative but like <laughs> the, the hybrid dcf people liked it it was working and it's good it's not like to trash it like it's good yeah. stuff but like there's opportunity to make it even better and yeah i think they had the technology and they never did it because it was working and then now that ultra has come out which does give you that woven face fabric they are they are working on it i was talking to them and i was like yeah. asking them about pack fabrics and we ultra came up they obviously not thrilled about ultra but they're like just hold on like we're working on like and they probably are they say that they say that they're working on something that's going to be like a woven mm -hmm. face fabric like that's going to be like they say it's going to be better than ultra you know we'll see but like i wish they would have done it like when they could instead of like waiting until like they're getting like kind of boxed out yeah yeah so that's the perfect segue um the next kind of fabric application segment is challenge. So thoughts mm -hmm. on EcoPack, thoughts on Ultra. Yeah, so my understanding for EcoPack is that it's designed by Hale, um, Hale Walkoff, uh, however you say, yeah. probably butcher his name, but Hale somebody anyways, um, <laughs> who my understanding is that he was also at Dimension Polyend mm -hmm. when all the VX, X-Pack fabrics came out. And a lot of the regular X-Pack fabrics, sorry, a lot of the regular EcoPack fabrics are, are similar they're just a lot more environmentally yeah. focused, which is awesome. So you're doing like a ton of stuff with recycled, um, getting like PFCs out of there, things like that, lowering the energy footprint. So like, it just seems like a great evolution of what's possible in like a composite nylon or poly face fabric, pack fabric, like or an affordable pack fabric, essentially. Sure. Um, so it's EcoPack seems great. It seems like you're not necessarily buying it for like 
performance reasons over XPAC. They're quite similar, but you're buying it because it's very similar and more environmental. And yeah. you're also, I think, supporting a pretty cool grassroots initiative because it sounds like, I don't know all the inner workings, but it sounds like Hale basically like, there's a small upstart like yeah. that actually cares about like he said he took like a year off and was just like like do, hanging out outdoors and like wanted to do better and like yeah so that's a kind of a cool thing to support so I think like the EcoPack fabrics make a lot of sense but they're like their ultra versions are like really what's gonna like resonate with like the geeks yeah. um, because it's back instead of from like nylon poly face fabrics you're back to this ultra high molecular weight PE or ultra it's nice that they call it ultra because that it's such a mouthful <laughs> it's true. but yeah so that puts as you know that puts the woven face fabric on the outside which is like exactly playing to the strengths mm -hmm. of that fiber it's like the strongest most abrasion resistant fiber you're putting it where you should and as a result you can make a pack fabric that's just more durable yeah. and lighter and like it's kind of the dream have you played with ultra 100 much yet I was just about to ask the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've only played with Ultra 200 and 400. Okay. okay. What are you guys noticing with the 100? Um, so this pack over Isaac's shoulder is made by a company called Superior Superior Wilderness Designs, uh, Brandon McIntyre. And that pack is yeah, Ultra 100. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. Yeah. Um, the 100 is is cool. I mean, it's yeah. uh, two, what's the weight? 2.9 ounces, I think. Yeah, yeah, 2.9. Uh, yeah, 2.9 yeah, yeah, yeah. ounces. And the abrasion and strength is stronger than most any other fabric, definitely within its weight. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, even even more so, I mean, you can go up to like the 210D grid stop, 400 Robic before you start seeing any remotely like close performance. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I don't know what to say other than that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I just made go ahead go ahead <laughs> it seems it seems incredible yeah and like one of the challenges when you get these materials like ultra is fully realizing the benefits because you could you could make a fabric that's just as heavy and now it's like 10 times as durable but if you didn't need that it's just kind of like this academic like my, my pack so bomber yeah but if you actually avoid the temptation to like kind of rah-rah macho and just be like, you know, what do we actually need here? And take some of that savings and put it into weight savings. So like we could make, like, so we were using, my pack right now uses the VX21. It's actually been sold out since fall. Like, um, So we have a new pack coming out um, that's basically a replacement for it. And that will use Ultra 200. Okay. Um, it's coming out in like 10 days. So yeah. I guess that probably before this podcast, no. <laughs> but so it'll be the ultra 200 and then that's 3.5 ounce per yard instead of, it was like five and a half or something. Yeah. So it's, it's like about two ounces per yard lighter while being like five times on like tear strength and abrasion. It's awesome over like the VX 21 X pack yeah. other than the cost obviously is a lot higher. Yeah. And then going to the 100, like, could make sense. It's because you could definitely make the argument that we don't even need as much durability as we have. Sure. It would be a smaller step because we went from like a 5.5 to like a 3.5. And then maybe go from 3.5 to 2.9 and save another 0.6. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kyle and I were kind of yeah. talking about that yesterday in the sense that even, even Ultra, not to discredit it at all, because it, it's awesome. I'm, I've made stuff with it already and I will make more. But, um, like even ultra is sort of overkill, right? Like the, right, the performance. Things. Yeah. Like the, I mean, even ultra 100, it's going to outperform most of what you need 
I mean, you don't need the amount of abrasion resistance that there is. However, like I do think it's cool that they answered that problem because people were complaining about that with other laminate fabrics, right? So it is cool they at least yeah. uh, recognize that. But I mean, it is it's ridiculously strong, all things considered. You know, <laughs> like when you get down to it, you're not going to put your pack through that much, most likely. Yeah. 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 So like on the tests, it's incredible. Yeah. The the only like thing that like just takes a little more time are the like kind of the real world curveballs that depart from how test metrics work. So you could have like, like, let's say you've got a pretty coarse weave on some of these and then you're going through like thorns or something. If it's like a loose weave, is it like, uh, that's kind of a better example, I guess, is the loose weave can move a little bit more than like a tight weave. And, and does that like lead to internal abrasion or does it lead to like kind of coming apart? I know, so for the 400, I know that Ultra increased the thread count over their original version because they were getting some, so there was early days of Ultra, they were getting like some delamination reports. There were a few like on Reddit and they looked into it and basically it was because they had used a lower thread count in the four and 800. And then now they have increased that. So it's like a tighter weave and it, okay. and it moves around less. Yeah. So it seems like it's a solved problem. Yeah. Um, as much as you're able to talk about this, how did you manage the construction for your backpack with the Ultra 200? Because I know as people are starting to get their hands on this stuff that are not pro makers, that is a, a concern um, with with getting the Ultra fabrics. Yeah. So how you how you make it is definitely a um, something to put some thought into. Yeah. You may not be able to answer that, but just any yeah. you know other yeah, than no, like I'm, a double back. I'm happy to like answer that. it. I like one of the things I. I just kind of, my personality is like very open. Like um, I kind of tell all our secrets, but, um, <laughs> but I, so people are really, some people anyways are really big on seam taping it because they think that like holds the plastic in better. And there is some merit to that. I think the single biggest thing though, for when you're constructing it is to use a folded seam. Because when you use a folded seam, you're basically folding the fabric over some type of edge that's distributing the strain along that continuous edge, as opposed to like a single stitch where it's like point, it's point loading at like all the different stitches. So if you used a single stitch and you had a long stitch length, you just have like stress points the whole way. And then with the fabric having a little more give because it's a little looser, it's kind of only the plastic that's like trying to hold it into position. Yeah. So you could damage the plastic. So we do like anything that's going to have decent stress on, it's going to be folded. Mm -hmm. And then we don't seam tape because basically once you get into like more complicated frames, it just like starts to become these big trade-offs in other areas. So if you're going to make a seam that you can seam tape, it's got to be pretty simple and flat and you could throw tape on it. But if you're trying to put like, a bunch of webbing in that seam too to like hold the frame it gets it gets weird and complicated pretty quick and for us any way that we could like seam tape it would have been like a lot less stronger for in other areas like yeah okay we have to not use webbing we have to use grow grain so that seems a lot thinner yeah but then it's like and then it's not on the frame as well so if i think that my preferred approach is to use like a binding tape on the seam and like instead of the seam tape, and then if users wanted 100% waterproof, they can put like an external seam sealant on it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you using like a like an ultra bias tape 
or is it just a you know like polyester or something like that just your standard black stuff okay. <laughs> yeah yeah one more question yeah, yeah so when you when you say like a folded seam are you talking about doing like a rolled hem or like a, a french seam or what does that look like? uh yeah we um we do a bunch of different ones because we got a lot of seams that get kind of weird okay um but usually they basically just like I'm such a like self-taught person. I like, I can picture all these seams, but yeah. I don't actually know the names that well. Um, but we like, we sew it and then we double fold it. Okay. So that the raw edge is hidden. Yeah. yeah. And then it's got like the two lines of stitching. So it's kind of like a fold and a top stitch, but with like a double fold on the top stitch. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, let's, so let's take this segue um, right into packs and products. We're already talking about it. Um, new pack ultra 200 is it a similar design from the last one or is it a a different design and the reason i sort of asked that is i wanted to bring up most ultralight packs have a big front pocket with two water bottle pockets it's kind of the design whether different shapes or sizes or meshes or stretch or static mesh whatever you know it's all you know totally up to everybody yours doesn't feature that big outside pocket it has a lacing system with a removable pocket super cool Mm -hmm. um but, you know, I want to talk about that, but I guess just start with the Kakwa 40 and tell us kind yeah. of the, what's the sales pitch on that pack? <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say the original pack that we called the DD 40, it was, um, it was me designing it like kind of as a pack for myself, essentially. Like mm. I do a lot of bushwhacking and things like that. So like durability is like a really high priority. Mm. So in the feature set and materials and also in the fit. I'm just like, I'm there like designing a pack. I'm like, well, this fits pretty good. Like all that kind of stuff. When actually like the human body comes in like a million shapes and sizes. Yeah. And so, um, so like it worked well for a lot of people, but there were people that were just like, Hey, the sternum strap's just like too short. And I'm like, you're right. Like we should make it longer. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like if somebody's broader chested, they need a bit more length there. So um, the DD40, I think worked really well for what it was. And it like a lot of people loved it. I really like how that like the pocket system is like very durable and like it's replaceable. Um, but for sure, a lot of people do like that front pocket system. Yeah. And so with the new pack, it's been like a couple years of like me thinking about things, user feedback, just like learning, growing, all these kind of things. And we found ways to make the pack so the new CAC 40 will have like a mesh style front pocket okay but we found ways to still make it a lot of what i was trying to achieve with the other one which is that the thing i really don't like about mesh is that when it's external it gets damaged and then you have this pack that's like you have this ultra pack that's like gonna last you 100 years except the (laughs) pockets are shredded yeah (laughs) and it's like it's kind of comes back to like what i would call like inconsistent design where you have like this rad bomber material with this like weak point that's like always going to be the problem so like with so the side pockets are still like a solid fabric like ultra because those really take it hard and those will be ultra and then for the front pocket the two things that we do are the top elastic is inside a like hem of ultra whereas a lot of pockets will either just be like lycra mesh where the whole thing's stretchy and there's just like the mesh or they'll put like an elastic kind of binding tape on the top, but then the elastic's actually exposed. And I've had a bunch of those get damaged or you kind of break the stitching and it, the elastic starts coming off the pocket. Yeah. So we use, yeah, all, like a hem of ultra with the elastic internal to that. So the elastic component is protected. 
And then instead of a really stretchy mesh, we use a mesh that is lower stretch and more durable. And then we use pleats. Like, so that's kind of like a fold to give it more space. Um, other companies do that too. Like, like Hyperlite, they use a more durable mesh and then they, and then they use like those pleats. And I think that's going to give you more durability than just like a really stretchy, like a lycra mesh. What are your thoughts on uh, like the stretch mesh with Dyneema or our ultralight venom stretch mesh? Just similar concept, just, you know, a generic UHMWP. So I don't actually have a good answer for that. I was like, I was trying to like test a bunch of those out and I just got too busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it looks really cool. Yeah. I wasn't sure for some of the meshes. I wasn't sure. This is probably another one of those things where I know just enough to be dangerous and probably put my foot in my mouth. I wasn't sure for the Dyneema mesh, if there's just like the Dyneema grid, which is going to be strong, but then like you could still damage the like the regular mesh that is yeah. most of it. Or if I'm like, missing something um i would love to like test those more um i just have a good trust for the the, the knit mesh mm-hmm. like the poly there's so many names for it <laughs> and and i designed by myself and i like don't even yeah. <laughs> so know what things are called all the time but those polyester knit mesh yeah. that's the kind of little little bigger holes yep yeah. um like you see on the hyperlight pack that sure. thing yeah that makes sense that yeah, yeah we gotta get you, we gotta get your hands on some of that stuff because it is interesting. It's not perfect for every application, um, yeah. But I mean, like I was cutting something earlier for uh, like an everyday carry kind of pack, um, and I have to use like the Kevlar scissors to really get through it with like good intent. Oh. Um, so it's not like there is on our ultralight venom. It is like you can see the you can see the ultra fibers as you're cutting it, and it's kind of more of a, a grid. kind of more of a grid. Um, but I know that. I know part of like with the Dyneema stretch mesh, that one, it's also in a grid, but they're wrapping the, the nylon around it so that you're kind of getting it. It's it's a little bit more, yeah. more interspersed, I guess you could say on that one. Um, but there is like, there are still weak points in the sense that like not, you know, it's not like a, you could, you could definitely cut part of it without cutting all the way through the ultra stuff. So you could end up like with yeah. small abrasions. Yeah, it sounds cool. What's the weight on that? Is it like nine ounce per yard? Yeah, it's a bit the, heavier, right? the Dynamo is 9.3. Our generic UHMWPE uh, stretch mesh is five or 5.3. Five. Okay, yeah, that's kind of more. I think when I was looking at the nine, I was like, the weight on my pack, I was like really trying to hit a goal and it was yeah. like starting to get, I was like, oh, I can't go to a nine. Yeah. And when I had something around five, that was working pretty well. That, uh, but yeah, it sounds really cool. That new pack sounds, sounds awesome. I'm really, really excited to see it. Uh, your productions, you used to, you said you used to work with a company called Drop. What does your production look like? And you don't make all of these on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's this really, we're like this really kind of unusual business in the sense that like the scale of our company is like so different in different ways. Yeah. So like a lot of the company is like super cottage. It's like me, like I do the website, the email, I make the videos, I do the Instagram, I design everything. Like, it's like, like I have some help from my wife and a, and a relative, but it's dominantly like super cottagey. But then our production is done by professional factories. Okay. Yeah. So the tents are from the same factory as MSR and Black Diamond. And the packs are from the same factory as Arcteryx and Osprey. And that really works well because, well, partly I live in a tiny little town in the Rockies and like, if I could find five people that wanted to sew for me, like, I mean, that would be hard. Um, and I like, like, there's no way that I could like remotely sew like the amount of gear that we do. Yeah. And I also like believe in like doing, I only want to do things that I can do well. Mm-hmm. And like, like I can sew, but like, <laughs> like 
it's going to be a hit on the quality if you got miso in the back kind of thing. Yeah. So anyways, so we use those factories and then it's great because like they, that's what they do. Like the tent factory has been making nothing but tents for 65 years. And if I tell them to do something dumb, they're going to be like, uh, like, are you sure about this? <laughs> and so it's like a great like check and balance. Yeah. And it also lets us um, produce gear like at a really like it's a unique business model in the sense that most of the companies these factories produce for are through retailers where you have like the whole retailer market, but it doubles the price. Yeah. We don't have that. And then it's like, we don't really have a lot of like our own costs because it's like just me. So we, as at the end of the day, we could put like more money into making stuff better. Like we could pay for like a little better materials and things like that. And we could still price the gear less because we just sell it direct. That makes a ton of sense. That was one of my questions is, I mean, you're like, I have not seen your pack in real life or I've not like gotten to, you know, get my hands on it, but I've, I've seen, I've seen the tent and I've read wonderful things about the pack, about the construction. And, uh, it feels, uh, cottagey in the intentionality and the, the detail that's there while also yeah. not really being cottage price. Like the expert that Carter got, that's the sill, uh, sill poly. It's like $300 or less for a two person tent. That's not expensive yeah. at all. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, I think it's just like the direct to customer business model yeah. is so cool because like you get the feedback, like, I mean, for better, or for worse, I get a ton of email, <laughs> but I mean, like some days it's hard. You're like, Oh man, I got a lot to answer, but it's yeah. great. Like you, what you learn, like I always like, like I'm a geek, but, and I think I bring a lot to it from that, but I also like recognize that like tons of people are geeks and have great ideas. And absolutely. We've had, um, good ideas come from customers that are like now on our products. And if I was just like, you know, disconnected from the customers, the gear wouldn't be as good. So I like selling direct partly because I just think it's better and partly because it's just more cost efficient. And then by having the scale to like actually use professional factories, um, like they've got like all the equipment, like to like laser cut the fabric and like, like when you put a grommet in, like we make some accessories at house and I'm putting in these grommets where I like, I punch the hole and I put the pieces <laughs> in and I squeeze them and I trim it. And it's like pretty slow. And like the factories just have like a, like a pneumatic air feed, just like, <laughs> and you just think like, like a know. thousand in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like the efficient production is good. Like it's not good if you want like something completely custom because we can't do that. But if, but it lets us build like a really high quality product at like a really efficient price. And then we don't market it much, partly because I, I love a good deal myself. So like <laughs> I just would, I wouldn't feel right like jacking prices up. So it ends up being like basically we try to make like the best thing we can. Yeah. And then it basically happens to be a low price because there's like not much inefficiency in the business model. Yeah. So this is kind of a question for our B two B audience, which happened to listen uh, very kindly, and uh, feel free to answer as much or as little as you're able to or want to, but. Um, is this something that more cottage companies could look at? I mean, we talked, we saw a bunch of people at trail days and they were talking about how they're really trying to ramp up their production in some way, you know, not go huge, but make more packs and they can make the three of them in their office or one of them in their yeah. basement or whatever. Is this a legitimate way that other cottage companies could sort of expand their offerings? What the, the company, the, the system that you're using? Yeah, I think so. I think there's like a real opportunity there that there is kind of like a step in like volume that can be a little scary. 
So if you have like a factory that's professional, they don't want to bother if it's like too small of an order because they got to learn how to make it. They got to like set things up. They don't want to make like 40 or something. Usually like minimum runs started about 300. Okay. So you have to be willing to kind of commit. Sure. Fork up the money. And that's hard. So like what I would recommend for like smaller companies is like, like even a random individual who's listening, who's just like, Hey, like, I think I have a cool idea. And like, maybe this could be something I would like do your designing, do your like sewing and like blog about it or like, you know, like share your story and try to get people signed up on like an email list or something who are stoked about what you're doing. And then if, you know, if you're making whatever cool thing and you get like 200 people signed up that they want to buy one too, then you could do a little pre-sale and place an order with like a, a factory to crank out like the minimum run of 300. So it is a scary jump. And I kind of was fortunate in getting connected with this because back in the beginning, uh, mass drop and drop were kind of, well, they were the ones taking the financial risk. So it's like, <laughs> sure. Like, uh, so we kind of just had that like jump start that yeah. let us be at a, enough of a scale to make it viable. And a lot of other college companies are doing the same thing. It's yeah. like, like tons of companies, like there's absolutely, there's tons that produce in-house, but like tons of them, like Gosmer Gear and Six Moon Designs and Tarp 10, Locust Gear, like all of those companies are using like professional factories and, you know, that's great. Um, lots of them build in-house too. But yeah, it's a good way to like scale yeah. up, especially because running your own factory like is hard. And I see a lot of companies where they have a cool idea, they're stoked, and then they're just buried in trying to make the thing. Yeah. And they like hardly can make new products because they're just like, sewing all the time yeah 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 you have a couple of products coming out the kakwa 40 brand new pack coming out and then i think you on the website does it say that the uh the xmed will be coming back in stock in in june or july as well right yeah yeah so production's been a struggle <laughs> we um like we actually do produce a ton of tents like thousands of tents but the interest has just gotten insane yeah and so we're producing about the same and like interest is like five ten times and it's just like so our supply just looks like it's getting worse and worse um i think like like two years ago we had like we had a decent batch and you know, it was in stock for like four months and then this year it was like the same size batch showed up and it was like 90 seconds or something <laughs> Uh, but we uh, we finally do have like better production starting this fall. It's just like with COVID, nobody's taking new customers. Almost all the factories are like, you can't increase orders. So we're like, we know we need more tents. And it's like, yeah, you know, maybe in like, you know, a couple of years kind yeah. of thing. So we do, we've been working on this for years and we finally have like good production starting this fall. That'll, cool. I think we can keep our stuff in stock. But until then, we do have more tents in June, more of the DCF pro tents in August. And I think we're going to have packs in stock this summer. Like, so we're launching it like in early June. I have no idea like how many we're going to sell. Like maybe seconds. they sell out. I mean, so I think it's, so I think like one thing that's awesome. So I guess the sales pitch for the pack is like, it's genuinely an awesome pack. Like it's ultra 200 fabric. I put a ton of work into like, like the harness, like making it like really good, like 3D fit with like all the shapes, all the pockets are like through like, just years of thinking about it, but also yeah, like all this customer. They're like kind of, they're like more of a Palante style shoulder strap okay. now. Yeah. So they work super well for phones, bear spray, sunglasses. Mm -hmm. uh, they work a lot better than our old ones. Um, it's really durable. And the frame, like, so a lot of companies just do like the two frame bars. Yep. 
which is fine, but it's just vertical structure and the pack can round it into like a tube. Often you don't have load lifters. So this pack will have like, like the full like vertical and horizontal structure. It'll have load lifters. It'll have like a, a dual strap hip belt, reverse pull hip belt. So it's like more yeah. leverage to tighten. It'll have like all the things you need for really good load carry, yeah. really good pockets, really good fabrics like Ultra 200. And then the price is like affordable. So it's gonna be 250 bucks which is like less than any other ultra pack on the market. Yeah. So I think think it's like, the idea is like, let's make a pack that's like better in every way. And then it's also less. And it's like, it's well under two pounds. So like compared to some of the big ones, it's just like lighter and more affordable and more capable. And I I think it's, I think it's awesome. Dan, you like both make me love being a part of MYOG and want to make my stuff. And then I hear that. I'm like, why would I make my own backpack if I could just buy yours? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think MYOG, like micro gear is like awesome. as like when there's that creative process, like when you're inventing, when you want something custom, once you get to the point of making the same thing every day, then you want to start thinking about like, because even if you are trying to MYOG it, it's like, I, I don't, one of the things that's always been like the thorn to my side is I don't really have the patience to like, sew the same thing like twice, Yeah. but yeah. the first one's always going to come out flawed. And so you're like, you make one and you do all this work and you're yes. like, cool, but like, I should have changed all these things. And I don't really feel like doing 20 different. more hours. <laughs> yeah. <the> sewing machine. <laughs> yeah. So just before we move on entirely, because there's one last thing I want to talk about really briefly before we let you go. Um, people can find your pack at durstingear.com. And you said it's June 7th. So just sign up at the website or how do we, uh, I mean, I might need to go buy one myself, but how do people find out and get on a waiting list or, or purchase that pack? Yeah, I, I think we're going to launch it June 7th. We're just waiting on some final, like, I just want to make for sure, sure the production is going to be done and I don't like yeah. overpromise stuff. We should hear any day, but we're aiming up for June 7th launch, which might be in the past by the time this airs, but it should be in stock. I don't, we have a lot of them. Um, awesome. And then we, we just have a newsletter on our website that it's called gear news, but we don't like, I hate like getting too much spam email. So I only email it when I've got something really cool. I think I've emailed it like three times in the last like three years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of like hey we have this new awesome thing you know it's not just like every like twice a day on like yeah. five more tips for something <laughs> perfect uh durstenyear.com all right so yeah um the last thing that we were going to ask which i know we've already kept you for quite a lot of time being the gear nerd that you are and the analytical guy that you are we figure there's probably a few things that you have a lot of thoughts on that you don't often get asked about so the first mm-hmm. one was carter's idea is how do you feel about hammock camping? Yeah. Uh, so I have never spent a night in hammock. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Carter just said, uh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I, I'm really torn on it because yeah. like, there's so much cool stuff there. Like yeah. there's so much potential for a comfortable sleep. There's so much like you can do with like attachment systems and trees and riggings and like, like it's, it's cool. Like I see why people like love that and geek out on all that kind of stuff. For me, the reason I've never got into it is just because I camp in a lot of Alpine areas, which doesn't work for hammocks. And then almost all my like big trips, I've got like at least one or two nights like that. Yeah. 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 So I, I think it would be great. I bet you there's like cooler, better ways to do hammocks, but I haven't geeked out on it enough to really get to that like forefront of like, what's the, what's the next thing in yeah. hammocks. Yeah. I think, Just I, I think everybody in the hammock world is excited for you to get 
get into that zone uh, because if you jump into hammocks like the way you have with everything else, then there's going to be some yeah. really cool stuff on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, there are some like, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool problems. Yeah, that yeah. I'm thinking about. That's uh well, that's good to know. And and Carter said, give him a call when you get into it because he's been doing this hammock camping. I mean, I think Carter's exclusively slept in a hammock for the last seven years or something, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, over. Oh, he knows too much sometimes, but yeah. So that's really cool. But yeah, let let us know when you when you want to dive into that world. And then the other thing I wanted to briefly pick your brain about is apparel. There's some cool stuff mm-hmm. out there. Whether it's, uh, I mean, choose whatever one you want to talk about. But natural down, synthetic down, new yarn versus other merino blends. Uh, you're in a wet, cold. Polar Tech Alpha. Yeah, Polar Tech Alpha. Thank you. That's another one. Um, yeah. There's some cool apparel stuff out there. Thoughts. Yeah, uh, so I like I love apparel. The thing that scares me on it is so we did the first DD40 pack, and I like kind of made it to fit me, mm-hmm. and then you get people of all shapes and sizes, and you're like, whoa, like fitting people is hard. <laughs> and then with the new pack, I put like a ton of work into it, but it's still like a pack where it like it only interfaces with your body in a few areas. With clothing, I like I love the idea of it. I'm just scared of about figuring out like the business side of it, like sizing. Yeah. And like, you need all like, how do you like navigate that? And to me, it's like, it's not a negative. It's not like a, a thing I'm saying no to. I'm just like, that's a whole next step. Like the tent, it's kind of like one size fits everybody. Yeah. And then the pack, it's like, we got three sizes. And then when you get into clothing, like maybe you just have three sizes again, but just like, the number of metrics, sleeve lengths, neck sizes, like, and you botch any of those, like you make, I don't know, you maybe I got a tiny neck or something and you make the neck hole too small and then everyone's like, these things choke me and you're like, oh shoot. Like, <laughs> so the, the fitting the, hu- the human body is scary. Yeah. Um, I would love to do like some like jackets, like whether it's down or synthetic, but just like, cause everybody loves like, when you got a jacket that's just like keeps you warm and cozy, it's just like your favorite thing. I love those and I'd love to do one. The thing that I'm like, I don't have any ideas for, but I would just love to solve anyways is sleeping pads. Um, they're just like, I just don't sleep that well. I don't know. Maybe this is, I should be a hammock camper, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I don't sleep that well on them. You go a little thicker, you know, it's a little better, heavier, but like, I don't know. It's just like, it's all incremental. I'm just, I keep hoping there's some like, brilliant epiphany on sleeping pads yeah but i like, i probably need to go hike the cdt and just think about it for like five months straight <laughs> yeah. i'm not really sure what you could do i just want them to be better and yeah. if i could ever have an idea pretty hard to like make your own like sleeping pad with it's like welded yeah but... yeah it'd be tough natural or synthetic down preferred i am a natural down guy really um yeah, I so I just like for even for all the weather, I just like well for sleeping bags for sure because yeah. I I've never had a wet sleeping bag, and I like I like I swim rivers. I'm in like mm-hmm. rain for days. I just feel like that is something that is solvable. Like yeah. I've got it in my like little silk nylon dry sack that I like 100% trust, and it's good every time. And then I love how it just like packs tiny and how it lasts yeah. forever because yeah. it's like. The lifespan on downs awesome. And then also like synthetics are always getting better. It's always, it's also hard to just keep up with it. 
like I remember like like five, 10 years ago, it's always like, oh, the new synthetics here and it's great. And it is better. You know, you test it out, it's better. It's maybe not quite as good, but then there's like four new ones and like it's hard to like keep up with it all. Yeah. Um, I could see more for jackets synthetic. Sure. Um, I do find like if you're because if you're an all day rain, like rain jackets are like always going to leak. Um, yeah. Like or well, it's going to get in somehow. And then if it's cold too, and you're wearing it under your rain jacket, like the sleeves get wet and the back gets wet and sweaty. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I can see the argument there. Yeah. I mean, shameless plug for our Alpha Direct that's coming in later this year, hopefully. Um, hopefully yeah. that's, that is one of the, that's one that does excite me. Back to your point about jackets. I think that's definitely like a Northern, like a Northerner thing. Like if you've been in really cold temperatures and you have just a love for a jacket, I don't, I don't say that much since I moved down here, but being from New England area, like I just have like a very, like nostalgic feel for my jacket that I currently have even, or it's like, I just imagine, yeah. you know, being cold on, you know, in a, or being warm in a cold environment. But that is the exciting thing about, I think alpha direct is that that packability you're talking about with a natural down is a pain. Like it's, it, it's kind of a, a bummer with some synthetic stuff. So with the alpha direct, it's packable as, as packable as natural down, but then you still have that insulation mm-hmm. value, which, which could be cool, but there's, yeah. I really like seeing all the uh, alpha direct, alpha direct kind of associated stuff that's going out now from like, even big companies like Arteryx has Alpha Direct line stuff, and then even just like the, the individual stuff, like the one that we got hanging up around here. There's there's a lot there. It's gonna be cool to see as it evolves. Is that like the, what like Senchi and some of those other companies are doing? That's like, like how thick is this? Is is there a bunch of versions of Alpha, or is the Alpha Direct kind of what the main one? So there's so there's three weights of Alpha Direct. Um, okay. I don't know the, like the exact weights off the top of my head, um, but there's you know, typical like light, medium, and heavyweight. And then there's also a, uh, there's an alpha direct with wool, which we're going to be okay. getting in, um, which I think will be really cool. And it's kind of like the yeah. equivalent of the the medium weight. It just has the added okay. benefit of wool fiber. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Like you make a cozy shirt, like yeah. that's the best. Well, I think we've eaten up a lot of your day. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing uh, quite a bit more than we really bargained for. Uh, but this has been super, super fun. Dan, thank you for sharing this time with us. And uh, I know our listeners are going to be really stoked to hear everything you had to say. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you very cool. much. Have a great day.